Hello, I'm Eric Holdeman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis, a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. I'm Eric Holdeman, your host. With me today is Robin Lindsay. She is currently, among other things, an emergency management training and exercise consultant. And we'll be talking about the profession of emergency management as it continues to evolve. And she and I were just talking before we start hit the record button uh, that we've seen it evolve in our long careers. And we want to talk about the people who make up uh, the profession and who's coming down the pike ultimately. So please join me in welcoming Robin to the Disaster Zone podcast. Well, thank you, Eric. I, I appreciate your uh, having me on, and I'm happy to share what I can. Okay. Well, Robin, at every, anybody who listens to this podcast knows the first question, I always have two questions that are canned. You know, number one is tell us a little bit about your background. People are interested in your career and how you got in and what brought you to it. And, you know, also what's your education and career uh, path been? And I, I, I'm interested in why the formal emergency management education piece also attracted you because you're doing a lot of that. Excellent. Well, great questions. And, and aren't you amazed, uh, Eric, at the many <laughs> pathways there are into the field of emergency management? I'm always I'm always astounded, you know, where people, different people come from. But um, I will say that uh, one of my favorite lines is that uh, I think I was born an emergency manager. I I didn't know that the field was even, a, you know, a thing. And, and perhaps it was not. Uh, I started quite young in the field, uh, right out of college. And I was working for a city in Southern California and um, had the opportunity to begin to teach earthquake preparedness to the residents of that city, um, you know, as, as other duties as assigned. And uh, as I began to have uh, individuals come up to me interested in having their private sector business, uh, you know, um, employees and workforce educated in earthquake preparedness, I realized that, that there was a potential for a career path here. And I just fell in love with that feeling of empowering people to uh, to take care of themselves and be self-sufficient. So um, in the mid-1980s, uh, once I left the city of Cerritos, I began my first consulting business, Epicenter Consulting, and um, did some planning for businesses like Coca-Cola in Santa Fe Springs and Gillette Corporation. Um, it was interesting that even though I did not have, at that time, the credibility of a badge like most people in that field at the time, um, I was welcomed with open arms because no one was really doing that. Um, and then the next step really was to, to gain that credibility. And in, in, in those years, when I moved to Texas uh, in 1990, and at that time, believe it or not, only three universities had degree programs in emergency management. So when the uh, fire chief of that community came to me and said, hey, I heard you have disaster planning background. I need to write a disaster plan 
for the local community because we're in the flight plane of DFW. Um, he welcomed me on his his uh, um, his department, and I became uh, not only a firefighter but an EMT. Uh, rose to the, the the rank of captain and became the a training officer and a PIO. So I, you know, without really even realizing it, I had uh, fallen into a career path that at that time was pretty normal for emergency management. When I moved back to California, that's when I started working. Go ahead. That's an unusual path, though. Yeah, I well, mean, at that the time. Emergency management and then um, a consultant and then really become a first responder being EMT and being in a first response agency like a fire department. So, all right, what happened after that then? Well, and, and you know, you're right, because usually people get into emergency management from firefighting as a second career. Um, but I actually became a firefighter to get that credibility of a badge. I knew I would need that to get a job in emergency management. So that's, it's kind of reverse. I became a firefighter so I could become an emergency manager, but I really knew that there was, there was a need out there. And, and, um, and so when I moved back to California, I began uh, interviewing with fire departments for emergency management positions and got the position with San Bernardino County Fire uh, Office of Emergency Services um, to be their training and, and exercise coordinator, among other things, um, and then began developing emergency management curriculum for not only the county, but then eventually for uh, CSTI, California Specialized Training Institute. I began uh, as an adjunct instructor for them as well. So that just kind of took me right into the area that I always hoped to get to, which is uh, training, mentoring, and uh, developing the emergency management uh, profession professional of the future. Really, next-gen EM. Uh, we're going to talk more about this in, in, in later on, but uh, you're doing FEMA training. Just br very briefly describe what that program is. Uh, well, again, the, the program began as a part of the Emergency Management Professional Program uh, in about 19, at, uh, 2013 is when the first cohort graduated. And that program really was originally developed for individuals who had been in the emergency management field for between five and 10 years. But as the, uh, as the academies have progressed and cohorts have graduated, now we're up to somewhere between 1,300 and 1,400 uh, professional emergency managers who have gone through the uh, uh, advanced academy. And that is really um, twofold. It can either be a regional delivery where it, it comes out of a FEMA region and is hosted by a state, or it can be an EMI delivery, which is a cohort that is made up of emergency managers from across the spectrum, uh, including uh, state, local, federal emergency management, about uh, 69 to 70% of the cohort. And then the rest of the cohort could be uh, things like, um, uh, you know, private sector, um, utility. We've had all sorts of different uh, backgrounds, military, DOD, uh, emergency management uh, to round out that cohort. Okay. All right. Well, that's a pretty varied thing with a concentration in, you know, training and exercise, I guess you'd say. Well, one thing I'm interested in, you know, I have a picture of me chained to my desk when I worked for the Port of Tacoma because they didn't want me to go anywhere. <laughs> I look yes. like Dumbo's mother with a big logging chain around my 
uh, ankle. If I can find it, maybe I'll send it to you. But um, but you've been out. You've worked in um, three different states. We met at the Idaho uh, Office of Emergency Management Conference uh, last fall. Uh, California, you mentioned Texas in there too. So from your perspective, are there any minor or perhaps even significant differences in the emergency management function from one state to another based on your personal experience? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we were so blessed <laughs> in California to be able to have, um, you know, staffs of 10, 12, 15 in the Southern region. Uh, it was it was not, you know, it was not abnormal. But um, as I, you know, moved to Texas and saw, you know, not only volunteer fire departments, but also emergency management was scarce when I lived there. Uh, now it's much more robust. In fact, I am teaching a NEMA cohort in uh, the capital state of Austin, I'm a city of Austin for the state, the regional uh, delivery. And, um, and it's quite robust at this point. But again, um, not, not the really the depth that I have seen in California. I worked in uh, and lived in Wisconsin for a while too. And, and again, regionally, emergency managers depend on each other much more um, than, you know, um, than in California because the funding isn't there. Uh, perhaps in some states, uh, you know, the, the number of disasters annually may may you know determine whether or not emergency management is really uh, a priority. But for instance, in the state of uh, of Alaska, I just did a cohort out there, and their their cohort motto is "No one is coming, <laughs> no yeah, one else is coming." So I, uh, I, I love that. I, yeah, and I I wrote an op ed for the Seattle Times uh, some years ago, and the title was "No one is coming to help." That that that's your that's your should be your planning assumption as a citizen. That the idea you're going to call nine one one in a disaster and have somebody come. No, your planning assumption should be knowing it's come. No one is coming to help. And I I don't do many personal preparedness things, but if I do one, that's the title of the presentation. Is no one is coming to help. So plan accordingly. Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it really depends on where where you fall in the org chart as well. I've noticed that uh, from state to state and where uh, emergency management falls uh, at the local level depends on your level of, as you know, and you've written them on, on this, your level of influence and funding. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, all right, you piqued my interest. I actually grew up 20 miles from Wisconsin. I went to school in Milwaukee. Uh, my wife was from Wisconsin. I was at Fort McCoy, Wisconsin for three lovely years. So where were you in Wisconsin? Uh, generally speaking, the suburbs of Madison. I lived in Sun Prairie for three years. And uh, ironically, I was sitting in a FEMA classroom uh, on the campus in, in Emmitsburg when they had a downtown a gas main explosion that took one firefighter's life and demolished downtown. So um, uh, I had already been working with the city and trying to develop an LEPC and uh, trying to provide my my assistance wherever I could uh, locally because that's what we do, right? We you know we yeah, we live emergency right. management and we uh, and we automatically integrate into whatever community we're in. So um, okay. yeah. Yeah, so I loved Wisconsin. I love the fo folks there. It was quite an experience living yeah. in the Midwest. 
Well, you might, uh, since you're that close, I'm, I'm from Freeport, Illinois, which is 20 miles from Monroe, which sits right on the border. You know, the Cheesemakers was the name of the high school team. And that's 20 miles from uh, Madison. So it's about 40 miles to Freeport, the cheese which makers. is just west of Rockford. If yeah, I, always, I always joke about the fact that um, there's something uh, something interesting about uh, Wisconsin, that they have cheese uh, cheese houses about as often as they have gas stations. I'm not sure <laughs> run out of cheese between uh, Phillips. I'm not, but yeah. uh, it's it's quite a quite a quite an interesting aspect of the state. That's it. Okay, enough about Wisconsin. So okay. I, I'm interested, um, and you work with many different emergency managers via your training efforts. And I would think in your classes, maybe even talk about this, certainly it's being talked among students. One of the biggest challenges emergency managers, managers identify as an issue for them today, and has that changed over time, if at all? I would use the example in the 1950s, teachers said that gum chewing was the biggest issue they had <laughs> in a classroom. And I, my daughter-in-law, said, oh yeah, no, she teaches in ninth grade, eighth grade, it's a, it's a junior high. She said, oh yeah, no, I have students say F you to me, oh. you know, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's different. So what, yeah. what's the biggest challenge they talk about and, and your perspective, has that changed over the years? Well, uh, I think that uh, I can say generally that the sheer scope and spectrum of emergency management has grown. And yeah. so thus the culture has, has has changed. And I believe that the number of emergent issues is added to the, you know, the natural hazards and risks that local emergency managers have. And I think that's why we're seeing the career burnout and the turnover that we are seeing now, um, that a lot of emergency managers who have been in the saddle for a while are just flat done with the amount that they are tasked with and uh, you know, I don't know how you feel about emergency managers, but in general, the the thing that I see in them is that they have such big hearts. They really do care about the community um, that they're serving at whatever level, you know. And um, so it's it's hard for them to do the kind of job that they want to do and be effective at developing resilience when they are tasked with so many things. You know, we say that all disasters are local. But unfortunately, unfunded mandates and priorities come from much higher in the food chain. And so I think that one of the biggest challenge, challenges for emergency managers is the Cinderella syndrome that you mentioned, like being Dumbo tied to a log. Um, they're, they're busy with the day-to-day -day of emergency management, but they're also tasked with making those po political connections and community connections and all those other things that they have to do in blue skies. Um, that uh, these extra added tasks and mandates are really becoming um, their their biggest concern is like, how do I do the job that I'm being asked to do effectively when the the scope and scale of what you're asking me to do with a limited, you know, limited staff and limited resources is so gigantic. Um, so I, I really feel for them. There, there's quite a bit of mission creep in what they're being asked to do by their states and um, and by federal organizations. And so the locals really feel that burden. 
Yeah, and I, I agree totally with you. You know, I was at state emergency management for five years and, you know, went off to King County, which is Metro Seattle, was there 11 years. But early in that experience, I said, well, I kind of got this down. I, I, I knew how everything worked in that. But the level of sophistication of programs now is way beyond what it was in, you know, 91 when I started and uh, up through like I'll say 98 and and that but um if you want to be active in the building resilient infrastructure communities thing uh, you're going to have to know a lot more than basic emergency management because of the mitigation and the complexity that you talked about I think one of the things FEMA has become much more complex and they're trying to measure performance and do all these aspects and it just adds a lot of I, I don't want to call it bureaucracy I understand they're trying to have accountability and prove to Congress that the money's being well spent and all that but it when you've got one or two people or a half time how do you do all that that's what I think you identified so exactly yeah. that's exactly yeah. it so well let me ask you this I had one the next question was about emerging issues, but I'll I'll tease that with how do emergency managers you see today think and talk about technology, and whether it's a force multiplier, it's a complicator, it's something to be avoided. Is that a generational type of thing? What how would you react to that? What you're I hearing. I, I, you know, what I see in our FEMA cohorts, for instance, is multi-generational. So I think we do, we do a good job at, at getting a really good swag of the actual populations out there, especially at the EMI cohort level. We are very careful about making sure that the cohorts have a really good balance of what is out there. And it reflects okay. the, reflects okay. the emergency profession. You were doing very well until you got the EMI. We're acronym free, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, so the, the FEMA Emergency Management Institute, um, uh, the NEMA program is associated with that uh, on the FEMA campus. And whenever we do a selection panel for the cohorts of the NEMA uh, Advanced Academy program, we, we try to make sure that we cover all of those bases, that we're, we're uh, diverse enough and that we're covering in the correct ratios all the people that should be represented in these cohorts. So it's, it's a great experience, an immersive emergency management experience at EMI, where at the local level, it's really up to the state training officer and the host of the, uh, of the academy to determine who attends or not. But when you want, when you talk about technology, technology really is, uh, you know, a major player in our in our um, discipline. You know, we have we have e um, we have WebEOC, we have Viochi um, that are disaster communication platforms um, that that um, many um, jurisdictions utilize. FEMA has WebEOC. Many states have WebEOC. California has WebEOC, for instance. So those are things that you have to be able to, to speak to those uh, technologies, but there are so many others that are out there. Uh, a couple of them that I could I can say that are really at the forefront now, of course you heard AI. <clears throat> Some people haven't really began to dabble in it, but they see how AI could utilize, they could utilize AI 
as you said, a force multiplier in developing marketing techniques and tools, those kinds of things. Uh, drone technology is huge, especially in a, a region like Alaska, where they have such huge land masses between um, large cities and uh, inclement weather and uh, all sorts of other needs for for drone technology. And so there are you know, several states that are leaders in the drone technology associated with emergency management for, um, <clears throat> for instance, for, for doing damage assessment surveys and other things. So specialization, I think, is one area where the new generation of emergency managers might want to consider. If you've got IT specialties in, um, you know, AI or systems, software, drone technology, all of those things um, are are beneficial. Um, but there are, you know, there, there are so many other ways that you can also specialize in this field. That's why I'm I'm just amazed at the the cohorts we're seeing where they're coming from. It's uh, you know, administrative uh, inroads, uh, all sorts of different ways to get into emergency management. Okay. All right. And people, if you're interested in that drone technology that Robin kind of teased there, if you go back, I want to say it's in December, I had a uh, podcast with Gloria Totorica Guena, who looked at drone usage uh, in emergency management and for states in general and, and called out some of those best practices. So look for that back in December, I think. And right. I want and you have cyber, cyber too. Cyber is is yeah. really huge. So we've got yeah. some some people that are specializing in those areas. Okay. And I, I, again, I give a shout out to State of Idaho, Idaho whenever I can, because they really have worked to integrate the cybersecurity efforts um, with their general emergency management professionals. And that was the conference we were at. They had a day integrated where everybody was together. So I, I think it's terrific. Okay, yeah. so we, uh, uh, interesting, like the city of Seattle, I remember used to have maybe 500 people on a waiting list, even more, to become firefighters. They qualified and they're on a, a, a list. Today, those lists don't exist, whether it's police or fire, and it's not just city of Seattle, it's pretty ubiquitous across the thing. So shortages in staffing or quality candidates is the other thing. And 911 centers are really getting hit hard. Also, it's another category there. Do you think those shortages we've seen in other professions will extend into emergency management? Or do you think that the pipeline of emergency managers coming out of school and other professions that, you know, second career will keep up with the need? What do you think? Yeah, I think that uh, so far the, there hasn't been that dearth of, of emergency management uh, potential employees. Um, we do a good job of sharing job opportunities within the uh, the FEMA organization and, and the you know emergency management professional program. So those positions are being filled. Um, but I do see this kind of as a, a twofold. First of all, you have those emergency management positions that are appointed instead of given based on merit. And, and then sometimes those positions are cycled out because of uh, you know political change in an organization. And so therefore there's no organizational integrity or mission consistency or measurable 
improvement planning because no one is really leaning forward into what could be. And we're still building this discipline, frankly. Yeah, and that's, so, yeah. so that's, my, that's, my, that's, a, that's a challenge. People have heard me, I've I blogged on this a lot and mentioned it before. I, I, I'd say the profession is still in our tweens. We're, we're still growing, learning, we, you know, civil defense era is not that far back in our rear view mirror. Even in 1991, two thirds of FEMA headquarters was oriented towards a national defense and surviving a nuclear attack. Right. And, 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 that, and I think the, the, the combination of, of, of FEMA and DHS only exacerbated that. Uh, we, we already had lots of people coming out of fire law and military into the emergency management field. Um, and I think that that just, you know, that that just, um, you know, again, added people into the into the um, the hiring pool that, you know, needed to be sifted through to actually look at the the, the competencies. And I think that we're getting there. I'm, I'm encouraged, Eric, because a lot of the emergency managers that I'm seeing now uh, are. Uh, are coming to the academy because they want to define their dis discipline. They want to shape their own future, um, and so they're they're really leaning into becoming the elected leaders and policymakers, so that they can establish the framework of the profession. Um, and and I think that that's really what has to happen. Like you say, we're still in our infancy. Uh, when you consider that, you know, <laughs> that you know, Ben Franklin was a volunteer firefighter, um, but emergency management has only really been around, FEMA's only been around since 1978. So um, I really do see more and more of our advanced academy grads leaning into those policy group and um, elected, um, you know, areas. So they don't have to depend on uh, on the influence of others to, to, uh, to make headway in our discipline. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, and, and I'm, I'm seeing more and more public and private sector, uh, emergency management opportunities. I think the challenge for the people coming out of degree programs is having, uh, having a good balance of, uh, experience. If, if you cannot show that you're integrated into a community and already actively, uh, participating in, uh, in either a volunteer um, uh, aspect or in a, a planning aspect of emergency management, I think that you will be waiting in line a long time for one of those positions because uh, it's not about book learning. As you say, There, there's, there's a balance. There has to be a balance between uh, the book learning, which is great, uh, but I, I, would, I would argue that emergency management has changed since COVID. And um, and so I think that there are more opportunities, but I also think that um, whatever you're going to learn in a book that was written before COVID is going to be uh, lacking in some of the aspects that we're seeing now uh, occur. So uh, I think that there are lots of people out there that are qualified for those appointed positions. I believe we have future Craig Fugates and Brock Longs out there. And I do believe that these emergency managers are contributing to credentialing programs to better define what a qualified emergency manager is. Well, amen to everything you just said. And uh, for anybody, Brock Long and Craig Fugate, because we'll show our age, I think. That those are <laughs> former FEMA administrators who left a lasting uh, uh, impression and impact on the national thinking 
about the profession of emergency management and in particular on the organizations itself when they let it. Okay, this has been great, Robin. Yeah. But um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up kind of on the theme that you were talking about uh, already. And uh, But first, here's a message from a sponsor, and we'll be right back. This podcast is being sponsored by Cobra, an emergency management software solution. Cobra provides a cloud-based EOC software that is intuitive, collaborative, and affordable. Visit cobrasoftware.com. And we are back talking today with Robin Lindsay. And Robin, <clears throat> we talked about this multi-generational aspect now of emergency management. There's, I think... Uh, I can't. I wanted to say five, but that's that can't be. We've got three or four generations of people still in the workforce, which is unusual uh, for this time in history compared to other ages. But so you, you have these experienced professionals still coming out fire, law enforcement, and then we have the emergency management system college graduates. What advice do you have for both of these groups, the professionals? and then the newly minted emergency managers for working with one another. Oh, that's great. You know, um, one of the, one of the uh, units that we discuss and facilitate in, in the uh, National Emergency Managed Advanced Academy is ethics. And ethics, as you know, depends on your value, your core values and, and how you behave, what you actually act upon. And so uh, it's interesting to look at that generationally to see not only the technology that is that has changed across generations, but also what culturally has changed across generations. And so I, I think that what I would do is um, I would encourage new emergency managers to um, to do what they can to to um, uh, assimilate. Uh, by not only learning from the past and from people who have been there, done that, perhaps like you and I, but also to um, to be a bridge to the new, uh, um, new newly minted, as you call them, emergency managers, because the, you know there's so much benefit to both, and I think that that's just part of uh, the collaborativeness of our d discipline. The the education the education is great, but it's really all about relations, uh, relationships. Uh, Denise Benson, my former um, uh, San Bernardino County Fire um, Office of Emergency Services um, division uh, manager um, said, it's all about relationships. And I think that's where that came from. And I think that when you can, when you can tap into the experience and, and uh, knowledge uh, of people who have been in the EOC through many activations, who understand what it is to um, to really truly uh, connect with the community, and then you can also utilize the huge benefit that you have with this next generation emergency manager who is social media savvy, who has all the technology tools that they're so familiar with, and they are um, they're coming up with innovative ways to address you know the same issues. I think that you really have to be somebody who um, you know, can can marry both sides of that equation to your benefit because there are there's such an advantage to both. Okay, so another question really cuts across both professions, and uh, not 
professional, but sets of people we're seeing, experienced second career people and then uh, emergency managers, the newly minted. You know, what would you tell them are the key skill sets that an emergency manager needs for contemporary challenges? Uh, well, I started out by saying that I, I think that we all in emergency management share the same heart. Um, you really have to love what you're doing and have a passion about it because let's face it, uh, you know, the money isn't there, that's for sure, unless you're in private sector. I think the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that of the, you know, I think it's roughly um, 10, 11,000 uh, emergency management directors uh, nationwide, that about 7,000 of them are at the public sector, either state uh, or county level, local level. And so um, we know that the lion's share of, of, of our discipline is in the trenches um, in the public sector and probably not making, you know, gobs of money. And it's because they really do have a heart for this field. Um, so I think being empathetic has got to be the number one thing. But as far as skill sets go, uh, we talked about uh, cybersecurity being an issue. Um, being being very familiar with your community and jurisdiction is really important um, in being knowing where the volunteer organizations are have being involved in um, community activism. Uh, IT strengths are huge. So communication platforms and social media capabilities are important. Um, and we mentioned drone technology. Um, so, but I would also say that we're seeing more and more people that are like, for instance, in the Texas cohort that I'm a part of that in cadre, um, we have a council member from the city of Austin. We have more and more um, executive level emergency managers coming into the fold. And so I think that uh, becoming familiar with not only your jurisdiction's community and the emergency management mandates that you have placed on you, I think it's really important. And I think I learned a lesson through COVID that we can't be in a silo any more than law and fire should be. I think that we need to be reaching out to our HR departments. We need to be reaching out to our finance and budgeting departments. We need to understand the entire scope of how emergency management uh, functions and who we're what are our dependencies are because that really makes us so much better equipped when the bad day happens and we're in gray skies. We have those relationships already. So yeah. I think relationship building is one of the major skills of any emergency manager. Yeah, a quick story that kind of ties into all this is um, for King County with earthquakes, big hazards. So we went back to a, a community. Uh, I'm trying to remember what we used to call it, where you take a group of community partners back and participate. We didn't do it at Emergency Management Institute, EMI. We actually went to a place called Mount Weather. Uh, to do that. And we invited a lot of the key principals to come along. And I, I remember we were at the airport ready to go. We're all going as a group on the same plane. So we had the bus and all that to be able to transport up uh, to where we were going. And I met this guy. I'm saying, uh, I didn't recognize the name or the face. I had to ask, now, who are you and what do you do? It was the presiding judge for Superior Court for King County, which is a high level position, um, you know, type of deal. But he actually came back, spent with us, and then he gave a judicial 
perspective on everything we were trying to do. And I think it also opened his eyes. I um, had an opportunity, he coordinated a, a thing where they would have, if you will, judge meetings. And I came in and gave a personal preparedness uh, message to him because he'd been exposed to it. And you never know what can happen when stuff like that happens. So right. I, I agree, uh, it can it can really work. So right. and we I, haven't we haven't even uh, you know addressed the private sector opportunities no. um, yeah. that, yeah. that require other skills. For instance, university emergency managers. We usually have one or two in each of the cohorts and at EMI, and uh, that is that's a huge uh, responsibility. We have you know people in semiconductor manufacturing positions that are emergency managers at Google, at Amazon, Disney. Major airlines have their own directors of emergency management. So it's an exciting, diverse field um, where, you know, you can start out in a, in a, in an industry and find an emergency management niche. So um, yeah. Yeah. I think we would be remiss to not to mention that, uh, you know, supply chain issues and energy vulnerabilities have become uh, part of our wheelhouse as well. So um there's there's almost not an industry that we we cannot find ourselves integrated into, or a community problem that they call on us to help orchestrate because they exactly. figured out how good we are at coordinating. Well, and it's all about relationships, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's it. Well, yeah. I, we talked very briefly early on about the National Emergency Management Advanced Academy, and you talked some about that. How yes. about just giving? if you will, your pitch on how are emergency managers selected to attend the advanced academy? So somebody's interest has been piqued on this. So how how do you sign up or get on a waiting list or that? It, well, okay, that's a great question. If you're interested in a regional <laughs> right, um, you know, you would probably contact your training, uh, training coordinator, training officer at your jurisdictional level and then just push that re request up to the region to find out whether or not they're hosting uh, a, a National Emergency Management Academy. Um, as I mentioned that, you know, out of the potentially, you know, 11,000 or so uh, emergency management directors, if you believe the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there might be 80,000 emergency management specials, specialists out there. And, um, and, you know, 1,400 graduates is not very many. So I would definitely look to perhaps applying for the EMI, uh, Emergency Management Institute Advanced Academy uh, cohorts. There are two of them every year. And then four regional cohorts that are uh, conducted every year. So go regional, go, go uh, national level at the EMI. And then uh, applications are taken starting April 1st through June 1st. And I think that what you really need to do is not only be in a position of, of you know, in, in emergency management, but also to have some supervisory background. You don't have to be, um, you know, a big muckety-muck or director level to get into the academy. But what you do need to bring is um, a demonstrable um experience in emergency management of some kind, uh, community, uh, you know, community involvement. Um, that's really important. Uh, I think that as you fill out the application, you would probably see each one of those points being there. It's not all about your education and it's not all about experience. 
it's about really, can we see your passion for emergency management? And so and, and a panel it, a selection, go ahead. Is the private sector able to attend this? I would, th I, Absolutely. I, I would want Absolutely. them to be there because you get that different perspective. Absolutely. Um, I, I would say that, um, you know, our, generally speaking, nine out of 10 regions are um, represented at the EMI cohorts, the two that are uh, done annually there. Um, usually they try to uh, emphasize the emergency management positions mm -hmm. at the local state or national level that usually makes up about um, roughly 65 to 70% of the cohort. And then private sector, higher education, federal, um, military, DOD, also NGOs, uh, um, non-governmental organizations, sorry, uh, yeah. like the American Red Cross and others are represented off often, and then public health as well. Any, like I said, our, you know, the discipline of emergency management can be found in just about any industry. So yeah. uh, it's open to anyone. Okay, and I, uh, before we went on air and hit the record button here, we were talking about next generation emergency managers coming out. And sometimes there's this, this thought that they understand everything now. They, they got this, they got all the education, and we talked about, well, you have to have experience too. But um, I, I would think that for this next generation, once they've got some steps under them and have spent some time um, in the profession, how would the NEMA program be beneficial to them? Maybe their eyes are opened a little bit more, but I, I found that a lot of times they think they know it all, for well, lack I, of a better term. The Academy is a great experience. I, I went to the uh, EMI, the, the national level, cohort and I had over 26 other states represented here at all different levels of emergency management, including private sector, university, et cetera. And, um, the, you know, I, I coined a phrase that when a disaster happens and I see it on TV anymore, I don't see places, I see faces. Uh, there are people I know and people uh, that I call friends to this day since I did my own cohort. And so you can tap into that alumni association for plans, policies, and procedures. We do a great job of sharing what we have. And we have to because, again, such a small percentage of emergency managers have been able to uh, take advantage of that academy. At the regional level, I think that the advantage to that academy is that uh, if you have some experience, you are probably uh, going into a pool of people that you already know, a known quantity. I always say that emergency management is kind of a shallow gene pool. So at regionally, you <laughs> might you might know many of the faces in your cohort, but the benefit is that you can take a look at some of these contemporary issues and emerging issues and address them as a group and actually maybe come up with solutions to some of those problems. So. Mm it's really kind of exciting to be immersed in emergency management, working with people at different levels in different disciplines in different industries and really see the spectrum of emergency management. It's a humbling uh, experience as, as a member of the instructor cadre, but uh, most people who get into these uh, academies, you know, their initial, uh, their initial response is, I don't belong in here with these people. 
But by the time they graduate after four weeks and you know roughly nine months of work, um, they've contributed a paper to the discipline, they've contributed case studies to the discipline, and they've made lifelong uh, emergency management connections, which then get they get dumped into the overall uh, NEMA alumni uh, group and have amazing resources and contacts from it. So I don't know anybody who couldn't benefit from it. And I, uh, you know, I just want to say that um, I feel incredibly um, blessed to be able to be a part of that program. Okay. Uh, well, I'll show you how old I am. You'll know what I'm talking about. The professional development series is where yes. I got my basic training. I forget how many courses it was, maybe seven, eight, something like that, including a capstone back at Emmitsburg, which by the way, Emmitsburg is very close to Gettysburg, if you have, don't know where that's located at. But um, those relationships, we kind of went through as a cohort to a degree. Uh, you know, the the then Bellevue Emergency Manager, Whatcom County Emergency Manager, they became the people that when we had a problem or a question, they would call me and I would call them and say, hey, what are you doing about XYZ type of thing? And that's that's great to have the close working relationships and a circle of trust, I think, also. Right, uh, right. Comes from that, yeah. Well, uh, we're at the end. I said we always have two canned questions. First one was your background. Second one, any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listening audience on anything we've talked about or perhaps missed there, Robin? Well, I just want to say that I, I have full confidence in this next generation of emergency managers coming up. I'm always astonished at some of the things that come out of these uh, cohorts, and I learn something every single time. Um, the, I'm, I'm amazed at their passion and innovation, uh, their determination to elevate emergency management and to, to increase community resilience. And so, uh, you know, regardless of, uh, of, of national missions, regardless of limited budgets, I just think that the next generation of emergency manager is, uh, is really going to change what we know as emergency management today only for the better. Yeah, they're, they're the next leaders. So I just want to say thank you to Robin Lindsay for being a guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast. You're welcome. I appreciate you. Well, and Robin, and we're long tooth, as you said before, the longer I live and see the emergency management profession, it's in a continual state of transition. Thanks for sharing your expertise with the folks today. And as we discuss some of the challenges and changes we see uh, today and more coming folks uh, for the future. And now a reminder to everyone, be safe, think about what you can do today to become personally better prepared for the next disaster. If you like this Disaster Zone podcast, please share a link to it with your social media contacts. Thanks for listening and be safe. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.